Welcome to the Go Find Out Podcast. I'm Jennifer Jelliff Russell, author, speaker, and entrepreneur, bringing you actionable ideas and interviews with awesome women to help you pursue your dreams and achieve your goals. You can find more episodes of the Go Find Out Podcast by visiting gofindoutpodcast.com. Enjoy the show and go find out. Welcome back to the Go Find Out Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Jelliff Russell, and this is episode number 55. On today's show, I speak with author and editor Charlie B. Rose about her journey of getting into the indie author publishing and editing game. But first, a quick personal update. Hello again, listeners. So this is just a quick update for the last two weeks. The biggest news from the last week is that Blissful Awakenings is now available in print and an ebook anywhere that ebooks are sold. Yay! And it wasn't a huge launch of the book, um, and it was a little disappointing not to see like a lot of sales right off the bat, but you know, that is sometimes the life of an indie author. And once I get the next book done and published, then I can make book number one free, and there'll be a little bit more traction on it, you know, since people are more likely to read a free book, and then I can enter that free book into more promotions for the overall trilogy. So just takes time. Ah, the ups and downs of the indie author life. All right, I do not have a lot of other things happening these past two weeks. Um, just came back from vacation, and now I have some family in town. So it's kind of just been running around, cleaning the house, and kind of getting it ready for guests. But uh, other than that, and uh, the, the book launch, not too much happening. So all right, um, let's go ahead and jump into the interview with Charlie B. Rose. Today, I'm speaking with author and editor Charlie B. Rose, who writes contemporary romance and paranormal romance. I connected with Charlie in a contemporary romance author Facebook group where she gave me some really great feedback on the book blurb from my billionaire romance. And actually, she rewrote it for me to make it sound much better. So in today's interview, we'll be speaking about her journey of becoming an editor. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super stoked to have you on. Uh, before we really kind of launch into it, can you tell me a little a little bit about yourself, like where you're from and that kind of thing? Um, I am from North Carolina, and I have lived in several cities in the state all my life. Um, I live outside of Raleigh now. Mm. I am a research scientist by day. Ah. So I do molecular genetic research. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, that's kind of where my passion always was uh, in high school. I fell in love with genetics and pursued biotech as a career path. And that's what I have been doing for the past 20 years. That's awesome. But I've always been a reader. So that's been my escape. And a few years ago, when I got my first Kindle, I discovered indie authors and fell in love with the the connection that I was able to make with authors whose books I enjoyed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that kind of progressed into, um, I started advanced reading for a few, and then one of the ones I advanced read for, um, she told me that I had found more errors than her editor did. Mm -hmm. And I have always had a bit of an inner editor. When I was in high school, I was editor of the yearbook um, for three years. So that, that kind of led me to looking into what editing was like for indie authors, because I knew it was different Mm -hmm. for them because they don't have access to 
to the resources that traditional authors do. Right. So I I started looking into what that cost was for authors. Mm -hmm. And it was so outrageous that then I understood why so many of the books that I was downloading for free and cheap hadn't ever actually been edited. Right. So I, um, I started working with a couple of different authors and that kind of opened up this passion for using my spare time to edit. That's awesome. And so now you're also a writer. So what actually led you to sort of step into writing? So one of the authors who who I first met and started um, kind of editing for, I was trying to explain to her the difference between telling and showing, which is something that authors often get talked to about that mm-hmm. you should make sure you show your readers something instead of just tell them. Mm-hmm. And so I rewrote her scene to illustrate what I was trying to say. Gotcha. Because it's everybody says show don't tell, but they mm-hmm. don't ever explain what that really means right. so that you can do it right. <laughs> <laughs> right. You just got to figure it and, out right now. <laughs> right. So then when, after I rewrote her scene, she's like, why aren't you writing? And I had never even considered writing. Mm. But then once she said that, then it's like the floodgates of ideas and characters started rolling around in my mind and I could not shut them off. Mm -hmm. So then I started writing my first book. I feel like once you open the floodgates to characters in your mind, it's very hard to turn it off. And then it's, for me, it's the the squirrel brain of, ooh, this sounds like a good book idea. Okay, but I got to finish this first book first before I start this other one. Right. And, <laughs> and I run into that a lot. And it's very weird because I had lived all my life without that happening to me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't ever really understand when authors said that, the characters talked to them and they had to go with whatever story was speaking loud, loudest to them. (laughs) And, but now I get it. Yeah. It's almost like a calling in a way. Once you, once you open that door, sort of, you kind of have to keep doing it. I feel like. Right. Because (laughs) I don't think that there is a mute button for the voices (laughs) now. I don't think there is. Nope. (laughs) You're in it for life now. Now, um, so, so kind of shifting back to editing, um, so there are different kinds of editors, right? Um, which I actually didn't know that before I ended up meeting a, a proofreading editor and I had to sort of learn what the difference was. So could you kind of explain to listeners what the different types of editors are and what they do? Sure. The first round of editing that new authors probably should get mm-hmm. is developmental or content editing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of authors who also don't feel um, really strongly about how they feel like their plot is progressing often mm-hmm. get the advice of a developmental editor. And that kind of editing actually takes your story and looks at the overall plot. Are there plot holes? Are these ideas fleshed out enough? How's the pacing? How's the character development? Are readers going to really hate these characters? Because you really don't want readers to hate all of your characters. They need to love some of them. Mm -hmm. Is the idea coming off the page for a reader? How's the readability? Is, Is it 
cumbersome or does it flow? Um, are the chapters, the endings of the chapters, do they have good hooks to make readers go, okay, I'm going to just read one more chapter. And then when they get to the end, they can't stop there because that's ultimately your goal is to have a book that a reader can't put down. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the job of a developmental editor. That they look at a whole picture kind of point of view. And a lot of a lot of authors can't always afford to do that because that's probably the most expensive kind of editing mm. because it's more time consuming. It's it's a lot of figuring out best ways to help an author address issues. Right. So the, the cost is a little more. So this process can be done by beta readers if you have really good beta readers ones that are experienced and really know your genre so that they know kind of what reader expectation is. And they they might not can tell you exactly what is wrong, but they can tell you where something is wrong or where something doesn't feel right mm-hmm. or if there's a timeline problem. Because that's another thing that I often see issues with is that authors don't keep track of their timeline. Mm-hmm. So you will have 20 chapters that happen in 24 hours and then you've skipped two weeks right? and nothing has happened. Or you've had a week pass, but suddenly the woman who wasn't pregnant now is nine months pregnant. So these are things that as we write uh, from the author side, we get visions of scenes, so we write them, but we don't often keep track of the natural progression of time. So mm-hmm. that is something that comes into play during developmental editing, trying mm-hmm. to make sure that you are telling your story in a, a believable timeline. Then after developmental editing, there is line editing and copy editing. And those are two different things, but they're often done simultaneously. Line editing is related to sentence structure. So is there a better way to say a sentence, Mm -hmm. Uh, a way that flows better, feels better to the reader, has an active tone of voice rather than a passive tone of voice? or rearranging sentences in a paragraph so that they make better sense. Mm -hmm. Copy editing is when you are looking for mistakes in word usage, spelling, grammar, punctuation. Um, Overall, that is generally what we think about when when we're talking about editing. That's what most people envision is what copy editing is. Proofreading comes at the very end and it's after you've gone through all the levels of editing you're going to go through and you've made all the changes you're going to make and a proofreader comes back and their job is really just to look for the things that slip through or sentences that got ghosted because when you copy and pasted something in, you forgot to put the period on the end or um, you you doubled up a word, things like that. It's very minor. Um, so it, it really should not replace any other levels of editing because proofreading requires a different set of skills and probably won't fix any in-depth problems. 
And a lot of people skip the proofreading step because they've spent so much on the editing step. And technically, if you have a good copy editor or copy line editor, 95% of your mistakes should be caught. But that 95% is based on how clean the book was when the editor got it. Mm -hmm. And that's something that a lot of people don't really think about. They... I see a lot of posts in groups that say, you know, I got my book back from my editor and my proofreader found 40 errors. Should I ask for my money back? So that actually happened to me with a book that I edited. Hmm. Uh, the author came back and she's like, you know, my proofreader found 40 mistakes. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, I, I really think you should refund some of my money. And I said, I found 37,000 mistakes. <laughs> so really, you don't think I did my job? Right. So that 95%, if if you had a 1,000 mistakes in your book, a good editor is going to find 950, and that's going to leave 50 errors. Mm -hmm. But if your book only had 100 mistakes, then your editor is going to find 95 of them and leave five. Gotcha. So it's all relative to how much work the author did in revising and double checking their own work before they send it off to be edited. Mm -hmm. A first draft should never go to an editor. Yes, this is something I've had to kind of learn the hard way, especially if I'm going to change, if I end up changing a scene later, like I should not be sending my manuscript to a beta reader and an editor at the same time. That's a poor choice. It is. Um, <laughs> but as you grow in your author journey mm -hmm. and you get better as an author, you'll be able to do things like that because your writing is going to get cleaner. Mm, yeah. Y you learn, well, at least, at least my goal is when I edit for people is for them to learn and become better writers. So when I make corrections, if it's something I see that they're doing a lot of I make a comment about it to explain why what the way they're doing it is not right and what the right way to do it is. Mm -hmm. So hopefully the next book they write, they remember the lesson and make that correction themselves. Because honestly, the cleaner a book comes to me, the better chance I'm going to have of finding almost everything. Because when you're looking at a screen that is filled with red marks, <laughs> it is really hard to see that missing period. Yes. Yeah. So now now I know that you were also working um, full time while you were also editing, right? Still am. And so now when you, when you first started thinking about, you know, really stepping into editing and, you know, editing for, for money, did you have any like naysayers from like friends or family who might have known that you were getting into editing? So my family thought that it was it was kind of cool that I, I was going to get paid to do something that I enjoyed. Yeah. But none of them think that I can make a sustainable living doing it. Mm, I see. And, and they still don't. And I am not. So, <laughs> so they are right. <laughs> but part of that is I, I am torn because I try to keep my rates very affordable. Mm, mm -hmm. So it often means that... I wind up working for less than $5 an hour. Oh my, yeah. Which is not a sustainable living. 
Yeah. And it's, it's hard because editing is such a, it's a, can be a very lengthy process if you're editing an entire manuscript, you know, even on the shorter end, you know, if something is 50,000 words, that's still, that's a long time. That could, and especially it if, if it's riddled with errors, that's an even longer time. Exactly. So when, when I get a, a new client, which I don't, I don't often get new clients anymore because, um, the ones that I work with routinely kind of keep my schedule filled up. Mm-hmm. But when I get someone I haven't worked with before, I always do a sample edit. One, to figure out what their strengths and weaknesses are mm-hmm. and to kind of gauge how long it's going to take me. Gotcha. And the other is an, an, author, an author-editor relationship is probably – the most important relationship you're going to have in the whole writing journey. Mm -hmm. So you need, when you're looking for an editor, you need to look for one that you understand what they're doing. You like the way they work and doesn't make you feel awful about your, your creation. Mm -hmm. Um, So the way they talk to you, the way they make corrections, those kind of things matter. So I like to show people how I work so that they can see if we are a good fit before we progress further. Mm, that makes sense. And so now, did you did you have any like fears when you started, you know, calling yourself an editor and like when you built your, you know, editing website? Kind of, because it's not like I went to college for editing. Mm-hmm. So, and I know that a lot of people put, a lot of emphasis on degrees and being an expert in, in a field or whatever. And I wouldn't say that on paper, I would call myself an expert editor, but I am very conscious about grammar and I always have been. So it was just kind of natural for me, but I'm the type of person that if I have a question about Whether or not something is right in a book I'm editing, I'm looking it up. And I Google a lot of word choice options because I don't know everything. And I'm I'm okay with admitting that I don't know everything. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, writing fiction, you get to break a lot of rules. Right, that's true. So I put put a lot of the things that I learned in English proper written English aside, Mm -hmm. because in fiction writing, you get to use a lot of fragments. Mm, So, and that's natural because we don't speak in complete sentences all the time. We don't Mm -hmm. think in complete sentences a lot of the time. So it, it makes sense that we utilize fragments in, in writing. So like I had to get rid of that, that rule in my mind for editing, but I also, I explain to authors that I work with that, you know, technically this is the rule, Mm -hmm. but if it's not something that you like, this is your creation and you have the ultimate veto power. So if you don't want to follow this rule, that's fine, but we've got to make sure you're consistent about breaking it. Right. That makes sense. Because that's what sticks out to readers is if Mm -hmm. you don't follow if sometimes you break the rule and sometimes you don't right and ultimately a book is about reader experience Mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah 
And now, do you do you feel like you have any specific habits that have helped you to be successful in managing both your writing and your editing career? No. <laughs> <laughs> I am I am I am only organized for my editing clients. I am awful about organization for my house, for myself, <laughs> for my writing. Um <laughs> I force myself to be super organized um, about editing because most of my writers are not. Mm-hmm. So when they put books up on pre-order that are not written yet, then it is partly, I, I take it as part of my responsibility to try to keep them on track mm. to make sure that the book is going to arrive to me in time enough for it to be properly edited. because. I don't, my, my goal is for them to put out the best version of their book they can. Mm -hmm. And if we cut editing time too close, then I get stressed. Right. So I have, I have a few authors who, who I keep checking in with to make sure, okay, where are we on such and such book? Cause Mm -hmm. you know, I'm supposed to get it in a couple of weeks. (laughs) How many words have you written? (laughs) So, so that's, Probably that's the habit that I think is probably most helpful as far as my editing clients go. Mm-hmm. Um, in my own writing, I try to make sure that I write at least 15 minutes a day, which is not not often very much. But I don't want to be out of my out of the habit, right? Because it's so easy to lose where you were if you walk away from a book for too long. Mm-hmm. And if I hit my editing goals for a given day, then my reward is more writing time. Mm, okay. There is not a single day of the year that I'm not editing. I edit every day, even Christmas. I always have at least one book on my plate for editing. Hmm. I used to take on a lot of books at a time and that was more stressful. So I have cut that down. Um, So I'm not juggling very many now at once. Mm -hmm. But after I put my family to bed, I edit. And then if I get the hours and word count in for editing that I have assigned myself for that day, then I get more writing. Gotcha. So what do you feel like you would have like missed out on had you not become an editor? I never would have written a book. Mm, okay. And and I wouldn't have made so many um, friends in this indie author community. Yeah. Which is which is a really great community. I it's it's the thing that that I am probably most passionate about helping other authors, interacting with readers, it it's really rewarding. So if I hadn't ever reached out to that first author and, and said, you know, you realize you have a lot of typos in your book, <laughs> then, then this whole thing wouldn't have ever happened. Mm. And what advice do you have for other women out there who are interested in becoming an editor? I would say if if you have that natural eye for errors or mm-hmm. or even training for it, befriend some authors. Learn how how the whole process works for them and join some advanced reader teams where where your skills can be helpful. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. as you start to build a reputation. And then I edited a lot of books for free to start with to get that word of mouth mm-hmm. um, reputation going because you can say that you're a good editor, but authors can't tell if you are or not right? because they don't know the mistakes in their work. So they can't tell if you found them all or found most of them. Right. So the worst thing that can happen is for an author to hire somebody and then find out that that person isn't as good as the author thought. Mm-hmm. And so, so I am always, it, it's funny when, whenever one of my authors releases a book, for weeks, I go read all of the reviews to make sure nobody's talking about crappy editing. <laughs> and there have been a couple of times where the wrong file got loaded. Oh, no. Yep. Or or an author cut the deadline too close. Mm-hmm. And so the editing wasn't done. And right. so they had to upload a version that mm-hmm. wasn't properly edited because, because of Amazon's pre-order loading time. Mm -hmm. So, so it, it caused a few problems and, and I hate that. So I try, I try to make sure we avoid that now, but, um, but it has happened and it, and what, what readers don't understand when, when they make a comment about editing is that one, the ultimate responsibility falls back to the author. Right. Because they are the last line on that book. So an author can choose to accept or reject every suggestion I make. Mm -hmm. And readers also don't know the quality of the book when it arrives to the editor. And if it is full of errors, it is really hard to find everything. Mm -hmm. So I, and I used to be very harsh in when I reviewed books that had, a ton of errors. Right. But now that I understand it's not always the editor's fault or, and sometimes the authors can't afford editing. Mm-hmm. So I try to be a little more, I guess, compassionate about errors in books now, right. which I, I no longer review books from a reader point of view anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I can't leave a, a good review, I just don't leave a review. Yeah, that's kind of what I do too. Yeah. I mean, now now that I've crossed the line from reader to author, it's I don't feel like it's my job anymore to review books mm-hmm. because it creates an unfair situation, I think. Right. Because my review doesn't just potentially impact the average reader, it impacts my readers. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to influence my readers' opinions of other people's work because it's not my job to critique my peers. Right. That, I can see that. That makes sense. So if I can't leave a five-star review, I just don't leave a review anymore. No, I think that's that's a smart way to go. Yeah. <laughs> and so now where can we actually find out more about your editing services and your books online? So... For editing, my I only have my Facebook page, okay. which is in the letter N dash D dash scribable services. Okay. So indescribable. Gotcha. Okay. A play on the word indie and scribe and and being unable to adequately describe what I hope to be able to do for authors. Nice. I like it. 
So I don't have a web page for for that. Mm-hmm. Um, my pen name is Charlie B Rose. So my book, I have Facebook group, I have my Facebook page, I have Instagram, and I am newly on TikTok. <gasps> Yay! I'll have to find you on there. I have been on TikTok for like twenty four hours. <laughs> Yay! It's so much fun. I think you'll really enjoy it. It is a a rabbit hole to get lost in, though. Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, I spend so much time on there now, just scrolling. So, but I I have to say, I'm usually scrolling through other authors or editors, um, or um, cover designers, right? And so, it sh- the algorithm shows you what you're most interested in. So that's usually what I'm looking at. Um, so it's really fun, though. I've posted two videos. One was a a book trailer that I paid to have made. Nice. Okay. And then. Um, one was one that I actually threw together myself. Oh, cool. So, so that's all I have put up so far. Okay. And um, it's funny because when, when I signed up for TikTok, it asked me about my interest and books were not an option to choose, which mm, really right. irritated me because that's the whole reason I'm going on TikTok. <laughs> so, so I picked dance videos and prank videos and music. And so now I'm getting all of these TikToks of hot shirtless guys dancing. I'm like, well, at least that's I was inspiration say, for both. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to complain, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Over time, it'll it'll kind of figure out what you like. And then um, as people, fr- as other like authors and editors and designers and people um, in the book world, as they friend you, then you'll start seeing more of their stuff. Yeah. I don't have many friends on TikTok. <laughs> you will soon. You will soon. Yeah. (laughs) Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Charlie. Thank you for having me. So I thought that it was so interesting the way that Charlie got started by, you know, just reaching out to indie authors and letting them know that some of the books that she had purchased from them had some typos that she found. That's definitely one way to do it. Um, It's definitely a way that really, you know, was kind of putting herself out there. Another option might have been to, you know, ask the author if you can edit a sample of their work or put yourself on Fiverr for a little while until you can kind of build up a portfolio of work. But, you know, the biggest thing about this interview was that Charlie reached out and that's what really got her started. If, you know, instead, if she had sat in her fear of reaching out to the author because she wasn't, you know, sure how they would respond, then she wouldn't have gotten into editing, nor would she have written all of the books that she has. And I say this to reiterate the much-loved point of this show, which is to take that leap to go find out. And sometimes that might mean reaching out virtually to strangers to offer your services for free or, you know, at a really discounted price just to kind of get your foot in the door in whatever field that you're trying to get into. And it can be really nerve-wracking and scary to put yourself out there like that. Heck, even on the author side, right, there are a lot of things where you just have to, like, take the leap and hope that it works out. Like, as I mentioned in the last show, I just offered advanced reader copy or ARCs of my new contemporary romance, Blissful Awakenings, to, you know, total strangers, even though I was scared that someone might actually pirate the book. But I I put it out there anyways, and I drop links for the ARCs in, like, the appropriate fashion to, you know, like, Facebook groups, um, even though I was really scared that not only might people pirate the book, but they also might not like the book, right? And so sometimes you just have to take those leaps and put yourself out there. And a lot of times that means, you know, making yourself vulnerable to negative feedback from readers or the possibility of an angry reply from an author, you know, kind of like as Charlie potentially risked when she first reached out to authors. Now, obviously it worked out in her favor in that the authors were like, oh my gosh, thank you. And it ended up, you know, turning into editing gigs for her. 
but there was still that possibility that they might have, you know, maybe even taken offense to her reaching out um, or, you know, replied angrily to her trying to help them out. But if you don't take that risk and put yourself out there, right, there will absolutely be no reward. All right. I hope that you guys enjoyed today's interview with Charlie. Join me next week for a solo episode. Until then, go find out. Thanks for listening to the show today. I hope you found the information beneficial and that it helps you tackle your own Go Find Out goals. You can find more episodes and the show transcripts at gofindoutpodcast.com. You can also let me know what you thought of the show by tweeting me at GFO Podcast or follow me on Instagram at gofindoutpodcast. That's it for today. Now go find out.